Amen. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. And howdy. So glad you are here this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read a little bit for us and then introduce our topic for this morning, which is if you're, this is your first week, uh, you have come to a great week. Uh, because if it wasn't clear yet what the topic is for us, um, that's it. It'll be four weeks in total. Uh, so you do- definitely want to jump in and be a part of this. Um, so if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. If you have a pen, that is probably one of the most profound statements that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me. That's what the Corinthians are saying. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord up and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined, every other becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Um, not because it's easy, <laughs> but because by it you, you long to lead us into deeper relationship with you and deeper intimacy with you and, and to live a life that is, that is full And so, Lord, I know that as we talk about the limits of sexuality and sexual expression this morning, I I know that for many of us, um, we have broken those limits. We've gone further than we have desired. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and as we dig into this topic of sexuality, that that we might see your design and your desires for our sexual expression. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we jump off, sadly, I left my clicker backstage. So if someone, like Jacob, could run and grab my clicker backstage, that will make this a lot easier. But while he's doing that, I'm going to jump in with this. Uh, 
For most of us, when we get something new, something exciting, there's, there's something within us that just wants to take it to the limit, right? So when you were 16 and you got your driver's license and you got into the car for the first time um, and you're there and it's no parents, it's just you in the vehicle and your parents go, you can go wherever you want to go and, and, and but be safe, that sort of thing, that sort of instruction. What is your first thought about what you can do with that car? Yes. Let me see if I can go five miles an hour below the speed limit. Let me see if I can stay within the boundaries of my neighborhood to honor my parents. What is your real thought? How fast can this go and how far can I go, right? Like that's the natural instinct of us. If I get this new toy, if I get this new thing, can I take it to the limit? How far can I take this gift that has been given to me? And I think it's within all of us to literally take it to the limit. But here's the problem with limits. Here's the problem with limits. True freedom, true freedom means that we need God-honoring limits. True freedom is found in the right limits. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge with this. That limits provide the pathway to true freedom. Here, here's what you've, I've got to convince you of. That limits are actually beneficial in life. Here's what I've got to convince you. L- limits are good for us. They're, they're beneficial for us. And so I'm going to pull, pull out from, from the talk about sexuality. Just talk about generally, limits are good for you. When I first came to college, uh, I was an athlete and there was athletic dining. And athletic dining was amazing because you could eat unlimited, really good food all the time. And so, yes. And so as a freshman, I went in and I was like, I can eat steak and fish and chicken fried steak. And like, I can eat all of that and all of these desserts. And I'm like, I went to town. And I was 18, and so I was burning, you know, everything through me, and it was, it was great. But over that whole semester, I ended up putting on about 10 or 15 pounds, and I was a distance runner. Okay? Now, if I was an offensive lineman, they'd be like, that's what I'm talking about, buddy. But as a distance runner, they're not known for their musculature. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and my coach eventually, the dining hall is awesome. But if you want to succeed as a distance runner, you can't keep making those dietary decisions. You've got to limit your options. You've got to limit those things. Eat healthily. Don't eat sillily. And eat within the limits that are going to help you to be the best athlete you can be. You've got to set limits. You've got to restrict yourself if you want to succeed in this realm. The same is true when it comes to studying, right? When you come to college, you have this beautiful, beautiful thing called freedom where your parents will not ask you daily what they always asked in high school, which was this, have you done your project yet? Have you done your homework yet? Have you turned in that thing yet? Have you completed your SAT prep yet? Have you, done, you know, like all of these, have you applied to those colleges yet? Like all of those things, you're like, mama, I'm an adult. I'm 18 years old. Why would you put all those limits on me? And then you went to college in the first semester. You're like, I, I'm free from those limits. Like, I can live in total freedom. And, and no one's going to make you study. And you're like, I have all of this free time. And, and they don't even make you go to class. There's like, like not tardies. There's not attendance unless there's a quiz. But you're like, I can show up for that. You know, like you got all of this freedom. And what you probably realized when that first round of exams came is that when you did not put any limits on your free time, 
When you came to that first exam or that first quiz, you realized limits weren't freeing or unlimited life wasn't freeing. When I live beyond the limits, what it actually does is it decreases my opportunity. When I live with no limits when it comes to my scholastics and I get a 1.0 GPA, that, that limits my opportunities. And if I live beyond the limits in those simple areas, what it will do eventually is it will come into consequences. I will, I will suffer for living beyond the limit. It, it, it will happen eventually at some point. You'll come into some conflict that you can no longer do what you want to do because you chose to live beyond the limits. It's true in life and it's true in your sexuality. If you live beyond the limits prescribed by God, you can do that. You can make that decision. No one can make you do anything. But what you'll run into are consequences. All sin leads to knowledge we never needed and consequences we never wanted. All sin leads to knowledge we never needed and consequences we never wanted. And God's design of limits is for your freedom. What's freedom? It means this. The ability and desire to align your life behind God's greater purposes. Greatest purposes. But here's the reality of limits. I'm going to line them out for you. First one is this. Limits are limiting. Whenever you put a limit, it stops your freedom of expression. It does. Any limit. Secondly, this. Limits are learned behavior. It may not feel natural. It may not be what you want to do. It may not be what you want for you. Whenever you put a limit in, it is a learned behavior. Sometimes you have to train yourself to be under these limits. You see this in sleeping, right? If I, if I go to bed earlier, I put that restraint, I can get up earlier. But the later I go to bed, it's more difficult to get up early. And, and you may feel very uncomfortable to reshift those limits. But I'll tell you, limits can be learned including in your sexuality. And thirdly, limits lead to somewhere. And here's what I mean. The right limits can lead you to the greatest freedom to honor God with your life and to be, have, make the greatest impact for his kingdom. The right limits can. So as we jump in, here's the first thing I want to tell you. We've all broken the limit when it comes to sexuality. We've all broken it. And that's where Paul starts out here. He puts everyone kind of under the same bus. In verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says this, people that live beyond the limits of God, people who live according to their own desires, they're not going to be a part of God's kingdom. They're not going to be a part of what God wants to do. Don't be deceived. Don't, Don't confuse yourself. Don't, be, don't believe the lies. Neither the sexually immoral, which means anyone, the word is fornicators, anyone that practices sex outside of heterosexual marriage, all of those people, nor idolaters, those who worship false gods, nor adulterers, those who are sleeping with people other than their spouse, 
nor men who practice homosexuality, people that participate in, in homosexual expressions and, 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 and sexuality, nor thieves, people that steal stuff, nor greedy, people that just take what's not theirs, nor drunkards, people that are getting drunk every weekend, nor revilers, people that slander and speak badly about other people behind their backs, nor swindlers, people that take what's not theirs, will inherit the kingdom of God. And what he does in that list is that he puts all of us under the same category. He puts all of us as limit breakers, as law breakers. He puts all of us in the same place. We all have a broken past and we have broken desires. All of us are in the same place. But I love verse 11 when he turns the corner. He says, in such words, some of you. He looks into a room and doesn't say, these are the people that are out there and the good people are right here. He doesn't say that. He says, if I, as I look into the room of Corinth and to this church in Corinth, what I realize is everything I just described is true of the people I'm speaking to. And Corinth was a very broken culture. They had a form and a freedom of sexuality that goes well beyond the bounds that we would have and, and, and do today. Worship in ancient Corinth included worship of many uh, gods, uh, including the Greek pantheon and the Roman pantheon. And worship for some of those gods, including Aphrodite, was, was, a, was a grotesque sexual expression. Worship, going to church, was going to one of these temples and having sex with male and female prostitutes or cultic worship. It was normal in their culture to practice a very broad and diverse sexual expression. And so when Paul is writing these limits, he is writing to a culture that embraced all sorts of sexual expression, at least as broad, probably broader than our sexual expression today. And so as he's writing to them, he's saying, I understand that many, 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 many people in the room have lived and watched and participated in a broken sexual expression. Verse 11, and such were some of you. The beautiful part about the limits we've all broken is that Paul lines out a great solution. And the solution to the brokenness is this a new identity. He says, but you were washed. That means you've been made clean. As I talk to people that have been participating in any sort of broken sexual expression, what, what often happens, whether it's something they've watched, something they think, that there's something that you feel, and it's, I feel dirty. I feel unwanted. I feel unclean. And Paul is saying, hey, that is not your identity you're washed. You're clean. But not only are you washed, secondly, you're sanctified. That means you're set apart. That means you're special. It's literally the word holy. He's like, you've been saved in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it doesn't matter what you have done. You are totally clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And secondly, you're set apart. You're holy. You're special. You get to wear white on your wedding day. Unless you're a guy, you're probably going to wear black or gray. 
but you can walk in pure because you've been fully cleansed by Christ and you're justified, you're declared right. That means God isn't going to stand and, and condemn you for your sexual past, for any past failures that you have. He says, you get to stand justified. It's just as if you've never sinned. You get to stand before God clean. You get an entirely new identity in Christ. And this is crucial. You've got to believe this because our culture is really weird when it comes to the idea of identity. At one level, we want to say to someone, you can have a a new start. You don't have to be identified in your past. For example, if you grew up in poverty, your poverty doesn't have to define you forever. If you've grown up um, oppressed or abused, that abuse doesn't have to define you forever. That isn't your identity. But when it comes to our sexuality, we say something different. We say, no, no, that identity is now you. There's a book that I've been reading um, to help me think better about this topic of, of sexual sin, and it's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. It's written by a man named Christopher Young. Um, he grew up, and, and he self-identified as, as gay, and, and he grew up living a, a gay lifestyle and pursuing those ends, and, and what he discovered is that he was slowly, slowly, slowly becoming identified in this realm, in this view of life of who he was. And it wasn't until he came to Christ after, a, after he ended up going to prison and all sorts of bad decisions that he had made in his life that he realized, that doesn't have to define me. My sexuality, my sin past, doesn't have to define me going forward. I can embrace an entirely new identity. My past doesn't have to define me. And that's true of all of us. We've all made mistakes. We've all thought and done things that we wish we didn't do. But it doesn't have to define our future. We can have an entirely new identity in Christ. But here's the challenge in this. This is where the rub, the rubber meets the road. Our new identity means we need to embrace a new authority. Our new identity in Christ means that there needs to be another authority over us, something else that leads us into the life that God wants for us. And this is where most people hit resistance. Because even Christians say, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins, but I will choose to use my sexual expression however I want. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the argument hits. Because we then say, I don't need to set limits. I want to live my life sexually however I choose but but Paul's actually going to tell us the opposite we need to set new limits in our life and he does this by really addressing two arguments that the Corinthians are going to lodge at him lodge at him that honestly our culture lofts at us and the first two the two arguments are this all things are lawful for me. What Paul is doing is he's quoting a statement that's common in the Corinthian culture. The way we would say it is this, YOLO, baby. Which means you only live once, right? And what they're basically saying is, hey, th- there's no rules against me. Culturally, we can do all of these different things. All things are lawful for me. And the second thing they say is this, the food is, this, is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And what they're applying it to is the area of sexuality. What they're saying is, hey, look, I've got sexual needs. I've got a sexual opportunity. 
I'm going to do it. If I'm hungry, I eat food. If I want sex, I go sleep with someone. I, can, I am free to do whatever I want to do. I was made this way. I, I have these, has these same challenges that we deal with. How we view our, our feelings and how we view our bodies. How we view our sexual feelings and how we view our bodies. And here's the language that we would say when it comes to our sexual feelings. My sexual feelings are right. My are real. They're really within me. My sexual feelings are right. There's no one that can tell me that they're wrong. And my sexual feelings require an expression. When it comes to our sexuality, that's kind of the viewpoint that our culture would, would, would hold to. Hey, my feelings are real. They're right. You can't tell me that they're wrong. And they require an expression. And when it comes to our bodies, we would say something like this. Hey, my body is mine. I'm not hurting anyone. And I know what's best for my body. The irony of all these things, especially when it comes to the last one, is that you don't know what's best for your body. You don't. Years ago, when McDonald's started getting very popular, everyone thought, this is awesome. I can go and get the same burger everywhere that I go, and I can eat these fries and this drink. It comes out quickly. This is a beautiful thing. And what did we learn later on by the great Netflix movie, whatever, Supersize Me? What what, what have we learned? We didn't know what was good for our bodies. We did what we thought was right, but we didn't know. Science will disprove all sorts of things that we thought was right. Asbestos was a great idea. It didn't burn, right? It hasn't turned out well, right? We don't know. My body's mine. I'm not hurting anyone. I, I, I would disagree with you. And Paul's going to disagree with you because Paul's going to address both our feelings and our bodies. He says this in this section. He says to the person that says, hey, look, all things are lawful for me. Paul says this in verse 12, but not everything's helpful. In other words, not every sexual expression you do is actually helpful, profitable for you. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's helpful. Then he says the second piece. He says, all things are lawful for me. But then he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Your sexual expression can go from being fun to being controlling. And you see this relationally. When, when we choose to go too far, when, when we just kind of remove the bounds sexually, when it comes to a dating relationship or just a friendship that turns into friends with benefits, benefits when we choose to do that, what ends up happening is to keep that relationship going, this sexual expression becomes the center of it. And we did a survey um, last week where, where the question was asked, why would we limit the sexual expression that we have in the context of dating relationships? Why does the Bible do that? And, and the truth is this, that, that when you choose to remove the boundaries of sexuality, that sexuality actually becomes sexual slavery. Because to keep that relationship going, you've got to keep putting out in order to get what you want. The freedom to say no. The freedom in college. And he could not conceive of not going out on Friday nights because he was like, I feel like I'm missing something and I feel like I'm missing an experience. And so it would come to Friday night and it was like he was shaking. Like he was like, he was like it's, I, I got to go out. I got to go out. I, I got to experience something because that what was started as fun 
eventually became slavery. It became dominating. And Paul says, look, I'm telling you, your sexuality is great. It's powerful. It's, it's amazing. But if you take it out of the limits that God prescribes, it can literally become dominating. And we're not going to address pornography today, but, uh, but all the evidence shows. When it comes to the issue of your sexuality, and Paul says this about our bodies. One, your body's not eternal. And secondly, your body's not your own. Your body's not eternal. And your body's not your own. Verse 13. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take my members of my, my body and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Is he only referring to prostitution? No, he's referring to all union sexually. Or do you not know that he who joins to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. And at least you're coming together and you're becoming one. You shouldn't do that. And it's not just in the context of prostitution. He's saying generally, when you take sex outside of marriage, it becomes this, the two become bonded in a way that you were never designed to. It confuses you. And the conclusion is this. Sexual expression is not God's goal for my life. Sexual expression is not God's highest end for my life. How do I know that? I look at Jesus. Did Jesus live the fullest life possible? Yes. Is Jesus the example that we aspire to? Oh, you bet he is in so many ways. Did Jesus die in our place for our sins? Yes. Did Jesus live the fullest kind of life? Yes. At the end of his life, he said, it's finished. I did everything. Did Jesus express his sexuality? No. Paul, the writer of the letter that we're writing, he was also one who chose to live celibately, to not express his sexuality in all of his life. And here's God's desire for you. God's desire for you and for me is a holy sexuality. One that is under the design of God, and that could include heterosexual marriage or sexuality. Secondly, God's design for sexuality, not my desire, sets the limits for my sexual expression. Men, if you have desires to get married, and you have desires to have a wife that you love, it is not her responsibility to fulfill all of your sexual desires. Women, if you desire to get married and you desire to have a husband, it is not his responsibility to fulfill all of your sexual desires. Sexuality, according to God's design, is about being a gift. It's about being a gift to the other, which means I don't require them to pay for some of my needs that may be dark and twisted and need to be brought under the control of God. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That means God can give you the ability to control your sexual desires. And let me tell you, even in the context of heterosexual marriage, you need to control the bounds of your sexual expression. It's true. It's life-giving for the marriage, for me to not require those things of my wife and to view our bodies as gifts. Sexuality, lastly, is a gift that requires limits. Well, Kevin, I don't believe you. Kevin, I don't like those limits. I don't like those bounds. I don't like you right now, Kevin. Fair enough. 
But I've been reading everything I can when it comes to this topic to try to really paint the best picture I can for you. And this is from the Journal of Family Psychology, and it says this. When it comes to timing of sex in dating and later in marriage. And here's what the graph is showing you, if you're graph challenged like I am. The earlier you put sex into your relationship, the less likely you are to be satisfied and enjoy the relationship over the long term. So if your goal is to build lasting, life-giving, lifelong relationships, here's what I would tell you. Waiting will produce a better, longer-lasting, safer relationship. The people that bring sex in early don't find it to be more life-giving. There's another study by a, a, a Cornell professor, your colleagues at Cornell, says this, a primary reason why sexual restraint benefits couples is that it facilitates intentional partner selection. So some of, some of us in the room, which is totally fine, we say, look, I want to experience the fullness of the relationship with this other person. Why would I limit that sexual expression in the dating relationship? And here's what she says. For many young adults, the single life can become synonymous with hookups and sexual experimentation. The problem with these patterns is that proper partner selection is often difficult for sexually involved couples who experience strong physical rewards with each other as these rewards can cause them to ignore or minimize deeper incompatibilities in the relationship. So, can I know someone better if I know them in the bed? What she's saying is, no. There's no correlation between sexual compatibility and rightly evaluating this person. In fact, it's the opposite. The human brain and body do not just experience pleasure during sex. They also experience strong sensations of attachment and bonding. Simply put, we are hardwired to connect. Rapid sexual initiation often creates poor partner selection because intense feelings of pleasure and attachment can be confused for true intimacy and lasting love. When scientists are studying your sexuality, they are saying everything that the Bible has been saying. If you want to experience the trueness of the fullness, the freedom of a loving relationship, sex needs to wait. A holy sexuality is what God has set out. So what does that look like? It means that we flee sexual immorality. It means that we run from it. Well, what's sex? There's a lot of debate on this, which surprises me. So I went to Webster's Dictionary. We're just fooling around. We're just messing around. What is sex? Heterosexual sex, sexual intercourse, involves penetration of the vagina by the penis. Coitus. Number two. Intercourse, such as anal or oral intercourse. Intercourse, such as anal or oral intercourse, that does not involve the penetration of the vagina by the penis. How do I know that those are sexual expressions? Well, I went to WebMD. <laughs> and then I asked the question, what are sexually transmitted diseases? Well, STDs are sexually transmitted diseases. That means that they often, but not exclusively, spread by sexual intercourse. 
HIV, chlamydia, genital herpes, genital warts, gonorrhea, some forms of hepatitis, syphilis, and uh, trialvigiosis, RSTDs. Well, okay, great. What causes them? The germs that cause STDs hide in semen. That's in boys. (laughs) Blood, vaginal secretions. That's in girls. And sometimes saliva. Most of the organisms are spread by vaginal, anal, or oral sex. So on WebMD, they would classify vaginal, anal, or oral sex as sex. But some, such as those that cause genital herpes or genital warts, may be spread through skin contact. So what is sex? Class. I'm trying to be clear. I'm not trying to be gross. Because so many people are saying, we're just messing around, we're just fooling around. But if you went to Butyl, and they asked you, are you sexually active? And you said, no, we're just having oral sex. They would say, that counts. So what are the biblical limits? We flee sexual immorality. Well, can I sleep at my boyfriend or girlfriend's house? Well, I would encourage you to think about fleeing as opposed to flirting with sexual morality. Fleeing means I run from. Flirting means I'm, hey, you know, okay? So if you're sleeping at your boyfriend or girlfriend's house, my, my, are you being sexually immoral? I, if, I'm, if I'm going by strict definitions and you're holding me a feet to the fire, I'm saying what you're doing is you're flirting. And Paul says other places, don't let there even be a hint of sexual morality. If you're waking up in the same bed, I'll tell you this. There is a hint of sexual immorality. And what, I'm, what you're doing is you're saying, how far past the limit can I go? What you're not saying is, how far can I flee sexual immorality? But not only do I flee sexual activity, secondly, I flee sexual thoughts, thinking. Matthew 4 says this, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. So I take my thoughts captive. Paul even says it this way, I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I be disqualified. That means I discipline myself, my mind and my body, to be under the design of God. I put in the limits so that I might honor God with my life. We're going a little long this morning, but I think this last piece is going to be really helpful for all of us. I've invited a a guest, um, Jacob Gonzalez, to come and share some of his experience in this issue. Would you welcome with me Jacob Gonzalez? That's you. Hello, hello, hello. There we go. Well, Jacob, let's jump right in. Well, howdy. <laughs> uh, you came on a fun Sunday. Oh, yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background and who you are. Okay. So my name is Jacob. I grew up in Round Rock, Texas. I was a dragon. Oh, sweet. And um, yeah, I'm class of 2017. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's everything. You know super, super seniors. Yeah. Super, super senior. Okay, cool. Awesome. And I'm on staff here at Grace. All right. So, tough topic to come in on. Um, why are you here, Jacob? All right. Well, something I have struggled with for many years and currently struggle with is same-sex attraction. What that means is I am attracted to guys. 
I know a lot of you guys are thinking, oh, that's the reason for the good haircut. So (laughs) that's what we're all thinking. So, uh, so when did you first realize this? So I became aware of these feelings like as early as middle school and they're Mm -hmm. feelings that have continued to follow me throughout high school and throughout even college. And, um, yeah, one thing that, uh, is kind of ironic is I also had girlfriends during these times, like in middle school and even through high school. That's awesome. Okay. So, so when were some of your first sexual experiences? What, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So as we were talking about limits, um, I easily, it's easy for me to justify, uh, setting limits aside because, at the end of the day, it's because I think I know what's better than what God thinks for me. And that's absolutely wrong. It started as early as, um, let's see, in high school. Um, this girl who I thought I could marry, I actually lost my virginity to her. She's someone who I would continue to have sex with through high school. But um, being a little flamboyant and being bullied a little bit about, hey, this kid is gay. Um, I've always had that as kind of like a, um, an insecurity of mine. So what I did was like to kind of like shut those people up in my head was I actually cheated on my girlfriend in high school because I thought, wow, I'm such a man if I'm able to cheat on my girlfriend with her best friend. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's whenever it it first began really. Yeah. So when would you say you first understood the gospel? Like when, when did you understand any of that? Yeah. So, um, crazy enough, I actually understood the gospel and accepted Christ my freshman year of high school. Um, and I didn't have like a Paul Saul Damascus Road moment where I was like, okay, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Great. I'm done with sexual morality. But that's actually like kind of whenever it began. And um, yeah, even though I was, um, yeah, I was having sex with my girlfriend in high school. Um, and then like it, it got even worse in college. That's whenever I continued to loosen up the, the reign of my limits. And that's whenever I actually decided to um, start experimenting with same-sex attraction And yeah, like a lot of what Kevin was saying, you know, you have unlimited food, you have all this stuff, your parents aren't at your, you have your own room, like you have all this freedom. And I took advantage of that. Uh, I downloaded a dating app and then it was super easy for me to um, like try stuff with guys. And then, um, yeah, I just kept loosening the limits and uh, this would turn into habitual sin that would continue for the next couple of years. Awesome. Okay. So what? What brought you out of that, out of those decisions? What was the kind of the processes that moved you beyond it? Yeah, so like I was saying, there was no black and white moment like, hey, I'm done with this. It was actually, it was a much slower process. It was like a gradual thing that, um, that I was able to like kind of stop doing this. And it all started, uh, we'll backtrack a little bit. I, um, I would go to church off and on in college, but I never felt comfortable going like every week because I would feel convicted and kind of guilty or like a hypocrite going to church every Sunday, but I knew that's where I needed to be. So what I did was I actually decided to volunteer at church. Uh, and so all you guys volunteer. It's awesome. Um, you can sign up in the back probably. Uh, I don't know. Shameless plug. Um, but I, <laughs> I decided to volunteer and I was doing the sound booth and I, I decided like, you know, if I'm running sound every single week, I know I have to be in church. So I became like one of the most dedicated volunteers, dedicated volunteers. And that's, uh, backtrack a little more. Um, whenever I was sleeping around in high school, um, it's ironic because all of my friends in high school would identify as Christian and they knew I was sleeping around because they were doing the same thing. And same thing in college. Like I had culturally Christian friends who were approving and okay with that. Um, yeah. So uh, getting involved, started volunteering. Yeah. 
coming to church every single Sunday. And that's whenever I like got involved in small groups, small groups, guys. Um, and then I started uh, being introduced to Christians who um, believed in waiting until marriage to have sex. And for me, that was a completely foreign concept. I was like, whoa, what is, who are these prudes? Like, what is this? Like my grandparents, like who, who are these people? Like it was completely foreign to me. Um, but just like being like, it became more normal to me to like see that. Yeah. And that's whenever I like started getting involved in Bible studies and in junior year got involved volunteering at breakaway and just being uh, with like good Christian men hmm. who, um, you know, like that helps me to flee from sexual morality Tough. and, uh, yeah, just really getting involved in the right community because throughout that whole process, I was in a community of believers, but finding a good solid community was, um, really vital. And yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well, what were a couple things you would leave us with? Because as you've gone through heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, and struggle, what what would you leave us with? What are some things that you use to help battle, you know, that struggle? Yeah. Um, well, first, I would say that um, as this like gradual shift started to happen, it was never a moment of okay, am I going to choose to sleep with a man today or am I going to choose to follow Jesus today? It was never like that. It was more of like as I constantly pursued Jesus and getting involved in community, uh, the other things just started to fade in the background. Yeah. Um, and also, side note, I don't want anyone here to think, wow, this guy works at a church. He's fixed. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, you'd be, you would have misread me. You would have misread the situation. Um, I want you to know that there are consequences that I still deal with um, to this day, um, and that's with like uh, same-sex attraction, hetero attraction, like whatever. Um, there are consequences, so I don't want you to think that, hey, nice haircut, he's he's good to go. Um, that would be completely false. Um, but yeah, some things that I would love um, to just share with you quickly is that um, <clears throat> this right here, this is the word of God. This is not just like. The Great Gatsby or Moby Dick or something like that. This is not just like a bunch of fables. This is God's word to us today. It's still applicable to people in 2019. Um, And I don't want you to ever think that it's outdated. And actually the limits that God sets for us that Kevin was talking about, those are, that's how we need to live our life today. So knowing that God's word is authoritative. Another thing I want to talk about is, um, let's see. Yeah, so... um, yeah, like I was saying, that there are still consequences um, that I still have, even to this day. And um, going through this, um, what I, how I justified it was like, hey, I'm going to have fun right now, and then I'm just going to worry about the consequences later. Yeah. Um, it's super hard. Like, I have friends who've struggled with this but have not acted on it, and they're much better off than I am currently. Mm-hmm. And um, it, is, it is so difficult. Still, to this day, it's hard to re- rewire your brain to um, follow God's will for your life. So, like, every morning, like, what I do is I pray that God would, um, would tune my heart and my mind to see people how he wants me to see them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that my thoughts, my actions, my words would all be glorifying for him. As opposed to just praying, like, hey, God, make me straight, please. I would, uh, I actually pray <laughs> that I would be in line with God's will. Because whenever I am after God's will... Um, everything else fades in the background, like I was saying. And my very last thing, my charge to people who struggle with this, 
is to confess to someone. I know as someone who is like closeted for so many years, I was so scared of like what my friends would think, especially like my guy friends. I was like, uh, they're probably going to think I'm hitting on them or something, but that wasn't the case. Uh, my guy friends were like, okay, great. Like this doesn't affect me. I'm not going to mess around with you. So it was much easier than I thought. Mm. And, um, the amount of weight that was lifted off of me was just incredible. So like whether like whatever your sin struggle is, I would encourage you to confess with that person. And then to the people who are at the receiving end of that confession, um, that's not the time to condemn people with them. In James five, that's what we're called to do is to confess and then pray for your friends. And I believe that is everything. Oh, one last thing. Um, if the fear of God doesn't, stop you from wanting to do this, know that um, if you do see marriage in your future, something that you're going to want to do is share with your spouse your sexual past. And if you're confessing with your wife or husband or whoever it is, and then it's like, okay, when was the last time you struggled with this? And you're like, last week. That that doesn't look good. you know. So uh, know that there are going to be consequences and uh, things like that. You're going to, your spouse deserves to know. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much, Jacob. Thank you for taking the hand. I just want to close this with this. Um, you are loved regardless of your past Regardless of your presence, let me just tell you this. Jesus Christ loves you as you are. But Jesus Christ loves you too much to leave you as you are. And so he, the invitation, first and foremost, is to come to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to fix your past. What he wants you to do is come to him and receive the Holy Spirit that you might be empowered to live a new life. And this gradual process... These things are are so present in our culture. Our sin stain is so deep that the process of of beating down sin and walking through life is going to be a process. It's probably not going to be overnight. But you're loved. It's going to be a process. And number three, you need to talk with somebody. We all do. So what we're going to have is the band is going to come up. And there's going to be an opportunity for some of you guys to respond. We're going to have uh, two guys and two girls. We're going to have a guy and a girl right here, kind of at the, at the bottom of this aisle, and a guy and a girl here at the bottom of this aisle. Um, and we want to encourage you to have a place to talk about, about what's going on in your mind and heart. It may be a time to confess. It may be a time to pray. But we want to provide a space for you to respond. We also have our table discussion groups. And that's going to be another great place to talk about some of these issues. But we want to provide those opportunities for you to respond. For others of you, um, during this song, it's going to be best for you to just sit and pray and say, Lord, um, help me to see you. And if you are in the midst of whatever sexual sin is in your past, he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He is not disgusted with you. Jesus moves towards you that he might know you and love you. We love you here at Grace. We want to be a place, safe place for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that you love us despite our past. And God, you want us to walk in freedom and wholeness and hope. And, and Lord, I, I know that we can't do that on our own. We need you. And so Lord, I pray that we would have this moment to confess our sins and receive the forgiveness that only you can give. 
it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.